Yeah, welcome to another episode of uh, Young Professionals and Energy Podcast. I'm uh, Mark Heidman, and I'm joined today with John Belazaire. John, how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Enjoying the uh, real spring weather here in uh, New York. Yeah. John, yeah, you're sitting in New York. I'm here in Denver. Um, so John is the CEO of Saluna. Um, we'll get into uh, Saluna later. But John, I'm hoping to just kind of dive into your background and um, talk a little bit about where you started and where you got to where you are. So if, if you wouldn't mind doing kind of a quick introduction for yourself, background, and then we can dive into some more details. Sure. So I uh, originally from New York. I, I'm, so I've, I've been back to New York longer than I've been away at this point, I think. So I'm, I'm technically back being in New York. <laughs> you <look> uh, like <laughs> so I did my uh, undergrad and graduate at um, Cornell University. I did I studied in computer science, actually. So I like to say that uh, although Saluna is focused on the energy business, we I'm not an energy guy, um, more of a technologist and a computer scientist by training. I started my career at Intel, actually helping them to drive the demand for processors on uh, personal computers. This was a period where, you know, Intel inside was invented. So I was at the company when that brand came out. The x86 architecture was a big thing, probably dating myself here. But, uh, you know, and I was walking through the factories when they were just making computers for their biggest client, IBM. And, uh, through that process, I learned a lot about industry. Uh, it was my first trip out of New York, really sort of professionally uh, moved to Portland, Oregon. I was there every summer because I was a Intel uh, scholar. What I learned was how important technology can be to sort of reshaping the way society thinks about things and thinking way ahead in an almost paranoid way about how quickly technology will change is, can, can drive sort of success for business. And so I, I fell in love with the concept of building companies and, you know, shaping the future by introducing new technology to solve problems. And so I left Intel after being there for about three years. I was in their infrastructure. They were sort of going from PCs to networking. And uh, I moved to Boston to join uh, four co-founders to found uh, my first company. It was called Theory Center. It was focused on uh, e-commerce software at the time. This was early internet, so just the beginning of sort of what we sort of take for granted today, right? Internet protocols and infrastructure. And uh, I was really walking around uh, New York, uh, parts of Boston Financial Services, uh, parts of the cities, and convincing people that software would be built in the form of Lego blocks, you know, combinatorial uh, innovation, if you will, or component software was sort of the future. And uh, we grew that company. Uh, it was eventually acquired by a vast growing public company called BEA Systems. And uh, I think we 10x the size of our business inside of their company. So it's just a massive amount of growth. So I learned a lot about enterprise software selling and, Essentially, for the next 20 years, uh, did that, selling software to a host of different industries. Uh, insurance was the uh, the last industry uh, where I built my second software company and um, third company overall. And uh, uh, just learned a lot about how you enter a new space that you know nothing about <laughs> and try to help them solve problems. And um, and and I from there. Uh, after running that for about a decade, 
uh, sold it to uh, Guidewire Software, a big um, software company in the insurance space. Uh, took a break and then made my way into the energy business. And I've got a story for that one. But uh, but that's that's really the tour. Uh, that of two young girls uh, married here in New York and just taking things one day at a time in this crazy world we're living in right now. Yeah, what that's that's excellent. What what a story. So I love the perspective of uh, starting in a technology company and seeing growth and understanding that the world is valuable and that you can shape it and mold it to your future. Yeah. Um, and that must have been pretty inspiring to be at Intel at that time. And indeed, let's see, indeed. Yeah. And drive, driving demand for processors that was like, hey, how do we uh, do more computing in each That's machine? Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had to drop somewhere around $2 billion every couple of years. You know, Gordon Moore was there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Walking around and, you know, he set out the standard that they've got to just keep doubling the processors. And, you know, Andy Grove, who was a very fantastic leader, still today one of, I believe, one of the best business leaders ever. And I really sort of channel him as a leader. Um, had to figure out how to make sure that there was $2 billion worth of demand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, software was the answer. You know, that was that was the solution, creating interesting, innovative um, applications of the new capabilities of the processor was the key. Right. If you if you can show people how to talk to grandma, you know, uh, over the computer and see her face and don't have to get on a plane. That's really exciting. And it's funny to say that now where, you know, you can be walking down the street and I, and I, and I can FaceTime with one of our one of my colleagues and. <laughs> And in Morocco, and I don't think I don't have a second thought about it. At the time, there was there was nothing, right? There was no internet. There was just you know um, the best you can do was ISDN. Um, and so they built a very large, close to about 700 engineers, give or take, uh, working on all sorts of interesting, cool technologies. Yeah, I'm curious on your perspective on this. The the uh, doubling curve or having curve um, mm-hmm. for chips is talked about often. And sometimes people use a similar uh, or use that analogy for the renewable space and say, like, you know, renewable technologies are following a similar trend. Um, mm-hmm. Don't expect you to know the answer. I've have, uh, thought much about this, but I'm, I am curious on your perspective. If you see any parts of the energy industry that are following a similar trend and how you guys are thinking about that. Yeah. So, um what most people don't know is uh, Moore's Law, which is the most common. It's amazing how that's become sort of, uh, you know, commonplace. Everybody knows what Moore's Law is. Is actually a uh, derivative or a subset of Wright's Law, which is, um, I believe Wright was a physicist slash economist um, who essentially, you know, um, saw this phenomenon that uh, the more you do something, the easier it gets to, easier it is to do it, and the more you find efficiencies in doing it. And so uh, that has helped uh, just about every piece of technology that has become ubiquitous become ubiquitous, right? Because the more uh, uh, VCRs you make, <laughs> dating myself, and the more VCRs you make, the, the easier it is to buy the VCRs, the cheaper it is to buy the VCRs, and everybody has a VCR all of a sudden, right? <laughs> that's, yeah. just, that's just the way it plays out. Well, that's happened for renewables. Um, you know, if you look at, uh, we started 
our uh, experience in, in the renewable energy business in Morocco. And that project, that development project, was upwards of seven years old, give or take, and then we spent another four years evolving it. In that seven years, the cost uh, curve for uh, wind turbines and related technology had already um, shrunk, you know, by half. And it was just fascinating in, in that short period of time, the amount of production, like the 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 same turbine size was, you know, 2x bigger. And, you know, it it's it's happening uh, pretty much all over the industry. I'm actually, um, I wonder if anyone's tracking this, but it'd be interesting to see what's happening with batteries now because, you know, lithium ion and just that technology is becoming um, more ubiquitous, cheaper and faster uh, as uh, these major investments in the EV space are happening, right? So as you do it more at scale, you can get that price down to that level. And Intel saw that. They, it actually became part of their, uh, their special sauce, if you will. They had a very, um, focused way of, you know, growing that and, and doubling that. In the, uh, so I'd say that, I'd say the batteries is, is, is one. In the utility scale battery space, I'm not seeing that yet because you're not seeing, well, the Tesla's, Tesla batteries are, are, are actually getting much more. <laughs> Uh, you know, penetration out there, but, um, I think that you're not sort of seeing a massive sea change improvement on some of the newer technologies. And that's just, that's just because of rights law. There just isn't enough production of it such that you can learn and, and get that loop going to bring the cost down. But I think we will see that. And I think that's one of the challenges the industry faces right now because that hasn't happened yet. And so the problems that the industry has needs, needs innovation essentially. Yeah, that batteries are tough. I do track batteries quite a bit. And yeah, it's it's uh that the curve is not progressing as quickly as some some of the right. technologies. Right. But and, solar, I mean, it's 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 a really hard project or problem yeah. to solve, right? But solar, you know, when the Chinese, you know, did some um, very innovative crackings of code, if you will, that significantly changed and moved the needle, and it actually bankrupted some companies because they couldn't move fast enough, right? That's that, yeah. that's that paranoia that I think is important for the space that technology just keeps evolving. So how did you transition from software to, to the energy space? So, uh, my last company was in the insurance underwriting space. Um, I had to convince people that, um, you know, they should stop, um, breathing oxygen and just breathe, breathe nitrogen. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you should not, you should not use paper to make insurance decisions. You should use software, you know, it's like this great thing, you know, that can like transform your whole decision making process, potentially the world. And, uh, after doing that for a decade, I took a break, tried my hand and just, you know, doing nothing for a while and getting to know the, the uh, venture capital space, software space. And one of my longtime investors and mentors, who is now uh, the CEO of Saluna invited me to come and um, join a development project he was working on in Morocco that was the confluence of renewable energy and uh, computing blockchain to be to be accurate. So he said, "I've got this project. It's it's like you know the confluence between." renewables and blockchain. And I was talking to him about a lot of the other things I was looking at and so forth. And then, you know, he calls me one day, my wife and I were just about to head out for vacation with the kids. And 
he says, you got to come down, you know, to the office and, 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 and look at this project. And I said, well, you only do like industrial companies and, you know, smaller um, systems companies. I'm a, I'm a software guy. Like, what, what, what can I do for you? He's like, no, you got to look at this thing. It's like renewable energy and blockchain. And all I heard was blockchain. Yeah. That's supposed to be really, <laughs> that's supposed to be really cool. Let me let me go down there and take a look. And uh, I totally expected to just you know find a reason to say no, but I became intrigued by this idea that uh, they had this really hard problem to solve. Right? They had stranded energy, and this idea of building a computing facility to absorb it off grid and then integrate it back into the grid was was really interesting to me. And I realized that about myself, uh, now that I've been doing this for a couple, couple of decades is that that's what attracts me is these really hard, gnarly problems, complex businesses. So this particular opportunity looked exactly like that. And that's what uh, drew me in. And so for the next four years, a team that I put together, uh, started working on that. And the reason he invited me was because he went from, you know, this project sort of would take the company from being a traditional energy development company to a technology company. Now you've got to like solve some real technical issues, build software, build all sorts of interesting things to, to integrate these two asset classes that don't really know how to do that. And so vertically integrating a wind farm with a data center was never unheard of. And doing it in southern Morocco where the wind is blowing really, really fast <laughs> and, 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 you know, trying to figure out how to do project finance in North, northern Africa. It's all sorts of interesting challenges to be solved. And uh, yeah. I'm glad I did it. I would I think I would do it again because it, it, it I've learned so much over that period of time. Awesome. So you guys started about four years ago? Yeah. So 2018 is when we really kicked things off. I sort of joined the tail end of a two years of research they were doing on this this business idea and you know its application to that particular project that they owned. This development company they had had other projects too, wind, solar. Um, but this particular wind problem was one they hadn't cracked yet. And this was this was sort of a crazy way to do it, you know. So what what was the resource? So it sounds like you guys had a resource class with the development company, meaning mm-hmm. renewable energy development or developer mm-hmm. right right um and i mean with renewables there can be a lot of um fluctuations in supply and demand right the supply right. and demand curves frequently uh, don't line up and so you either need to do something when you have excess supply or if you have batteries then yeah that can if you've got excess demand then yeah generate that power from somewhere else but right. were you your guys's i assume thesis was exploiting that arbitrage so at the time, it was just um, unlocking stranded energy. So it was a, okay. it was a project that was in a part of the country where the grid infrastructure actually wasn't there yet. It had to be invested. There had to be. There was a major government project to move the country uh, away from being an energy importer to being an energy exporter. And they realized we have massive amounts of renewable energy resources that are unexploited. So let's create a number of programs to do that. And one way to do that is to expand the grid. And so we were sitting on a site that was twice the size of Manhattan. The wind blew, you know, upwards of um, 20 meters per second um, and uh, had a, a site that had a capacity factor of 70 percent. You know, Texas is like one of the best. West Texas is like 40 percent of your life. If you're, if you're lucky, yeah. Yeah. this thing. You know, consistently we, you know, 
not believing the numbers, we ran the analysis. <laughs> I think really is like, you know, in the high let's, 60s, let's just clarify folks, like, And every time we would talk to financiers, you know, we would just like hit that slide and then we would hear like, whoa, <laughs> we got to Like, we just, this, this has to be built, you know? And, um, so it was a stranded it's a energy problem. capacity factor. You, you uh, sorry, we'll just touch on that. That's uh, total amount of time the wind's blowing in that area, right? Yeah. So if if you think of think of a you know you, you put one turbine on the site and it has a rated capacity of ten megawatts, which means if the wind blows a hundred percent of the time, it'll produce you make ten megawatts on it'll, that. It'll, it'll, yeah, you make you, you you make ten megawatts, uh, but the wind doesn't blow all the time, uh, and that percentage basically you divide in and that's what that, that's your actual you know output and right. so in our case uh in texas that that 10 10 megawatts would produce four megawatts um in our case it would be seven that's a way to think about right. it so it's a very very productive wind farm which is really so, good yeah that's a good yeah it's like one of the best yeah. yeah one of the best best in the world this it's called the harmattan wind actually it has a name that's because it's so like you know um uh, fierce and consistent and uh, so we had this opportunity to build a stranded site. And as we developed the site over the next four years, we did everything you do to, to, to develop a, a renewable energy project. And then uh, several years into it, right at the right at the height of, of COVID, um, you know, the, the the grid has already made its way across our site. And we're re-architecting the structure to incorporate selling power to the grid and modeling and simulating this data center that would be integrated with it. It became clear to us as we looked at this and we were structuring, you know, power sales with off takers and so forth. And it became clear to us that, um, hey, this computing is actually more of a embedded demand response solution than a vertically integrated uh, off taker, if you will. Right. It's actually more of a technical solution. And since we were locked down during COVID, we started thinking about how we'll evolve the business going forward now that the, the, the project has a, a route to take. Um, should, should we go and find Greenfield sites, you know, and build, you know, integrated projects again? And what we thought was, well, no, actually building the power plant part, that's really hard. <laughs> it's very, very <laughs> intensive. It takes a long time. Uh, this computing part is actually much faster. Um, we might be able to go to existing projects that have curtailment or challenges with wasted energy where that supply demand curve doesn't match up, as you said, and we can solve a real problem for them. But first, let's go see if this is actually a real problem and it's big enough for us to go after yeah. it. So we spent six months doing that, talking to grid operators, schedulers, um, independent uh, power producers, uh, people who own assets, uh, asset operators, the O&M companies, you know, and everybody was like shaking their head, you know, fiercely. Yes. Like you have to solve this problem. And so what, you, so you're saying you're going to bring flexible load to generation. And we're like, yeah, that's what <laughs> and they're like, whoa, yes. that's great. That's, that's brilliant, you know? And so, um, so we took the original Saluna and basically broke it up into two companies. Harmattan is the energy company now. And the company that I run is called Saluna Computing. And what we do is we really focus on what we we focus on from the beginning, which is how do you integrate more renewable energy into the grid by retroactively providing grid infrastructure or grid flexibility through computing fabric. And um, the, the computing is a essentially a perfect battery that, you know, finds the wasted energy. Um, we look at all of the grid signals, um, you know, 
weather, everything that we need to sort of simulate and understand how much energy is going to be available, we use that and we convert it into a global uh, computing resource. And we use it for compute intensive applications that are batchable in nature. So they, they're, they're comfortable living in a facility that's not going to be up 24 um, seven. And then we, we build lots and lots of these things uh, uh, throughout the world and mesh them together to create this uh, computing fabric that uh, can become a big, big, uh, low cost green cloud, essentially. And by doing that, it creates this virtual circle as we do it more, uh, more renewables get built, more renewables stay on, if you will, and more renewables get added to the grid. Uh, that's what we're focusing on right now. And we've been doing that for the last two years and it's been in- incredible. Um, you know, the, the growth that we've seen, the, the size and, um, influence of some of the infrastructure partners that we're working with and just the sheer size of the problem. You know, most people don't realize this, but about 30%, up to 30, 30% of the power from a renewable energy plant never actually makes it to the grid in some of these highly congested areas. And that can have detrimental effects on the financial structure of the, of the company that's, you know, operating the, the facility, tax equity, you know, everybody involved in the structuring and financing of the project. And that makes it harder to build projects when you're having those problems. So we can unlock that problem more projects get built, more renewable energy in the world, and, you know, we have a chance uh, to hit our goals. Awesome. And so you guys are deploying the actual data centers, the compute power, the physical assets to each of these locations? Yes. Yeah. So we're... Distributed generation. Exactly. So um, I like to say that we're, we're creating a new form of grid infrastructure, right? You've got, you've got generation, you've got, uh, uh, transmission distribution. Um, you have software that manages the, the grid infrastructure. You have batteries that support, you know, um, and what we're saying is computing is actually, uh, a, a new form and another option for, uh, adding infrastructure to the grid to give it more flex, uh, so that it can, it can absorb, uh, more intermittent power and ultimately, um, accelerate the transition to green power. Gotcha. Let's uh let's define compute a little bit. I assume part of yeah. it is uh cryptocurrency mining. Um yeah. is that the majority of it or is there also compute power for like data centers like might be on a other cloud software platform? Yes, both. We um our business is focused on both areas. Uh today we primarily do crypto uh for two reasons. Number one, its compute intensiveness is perfect for this application. It's um, uh, energy demand is perfect for this application. And uh, it's also uh, extremely flexible. Most people don't understand, but you can um, stop a crypto mining process, sort of freeze frame it, if you will, and then restart it again. And that doesn't change the economics or nature of the facility, as long as you're sort of up a certain amount of time. And uh, that essentially turns the facility into a very flexible environment where traditional data centers are sort of uh, trying to tie their compute windows to certain, you know, points of generation. And that's how they're sort of being able to match it to the green energy. We're actually integrating the facility right at the point of generation. And then uh, the compute itself is by its own very nature uh, flexible. 
so we can match our consumption to that generation. We also uh, use power from other sources. We pull from the grid sometimes as well to reach sort of our minimum for that location. But it makes a perfect application. And um, you don't have to chase customers, <laughs> being an enterprise guy, uh, to start monetizing the facility, return, you know, return the investment that's been made in it uh, so that you can have a permanent asset. Once you do that, that's phase two of our business where you basically invest in um, changing the equipment in the building to focus on more general purpose applications. And uh, the ones that we believe are the best targets are applications that are not real time. So not Netflix, not your commerce applications, not your ERP system, uh, but your computing models, your financial models, your anything that's that's sort of a, uh, non-real-time and batchable in nature, but compute-intensive. So uh, if you look at the entire computing market, uh, mm-hmm. there's probably a, 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 you know, think of it as a pie. There's a slice of the pie is about 20% of that space, and that's the AI, machine learning, the sort of new, fast-growing portion of the total compute fabric of the world. And if you think about it, just about every company is a data company you know um right. peloton i'm still a fan even though the, the company's you know slowly <laughs> disintegrating into nothing but anyway the uh <laughs> they collect a lot of data on me right like my my, yeah. my phone is collecting a lot of data on me and our, our ability to produce lots and lots of data corpus these days is is exploding and we need lots and lots of computing power to to process it and data science has become you know the fastest growing field and uh, when we spoke to data scientists over that sort of six month period, what they told us was this would be awesome because we get really worried about the fact that, you know, we're doing all this data crunching and we're sort of destroying the planet in the process. So um, our pitch is going to be to enterprises uh, that uh, we're going to provide you this global um, green cloud that is uh very ESG friendly, um, way less expensive than your traditional hyperscale providers, tuned, like purpose built for these types of applications. And we want you to just give us that portion. If you're a very large enterprise, that's probably going to represent maybe one to two percent of your compute load. Right. Um, but it's it's a it's a really fast growing piece. It's non mission critical, but super important. And it can allow you to essentially um, accelerate your ESG goals and lower your cost and improve your experience from a, uh, from a, um, you know, data science perspective, because most companies are sort of new to that base. That's our, that's our pitch and it's, it's a niche approach, which has been very successful for me in my career. So it's no, no, concern, <laughs> no, no, no surprise. Well, I'm, I'm going back to the playbook. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, we're willing to trace it again. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, that's great perspective, and I, I, there's several points that I want to try and dig a little bit deeper on. Um, I, I think many people are aware of the cryptocurrency mining and re- remote mining and that piece of the uh, compute market. But, yeah, I don't think a lot of people recognize or understand how big the other compute demand is. Yeah. So that's interesting that you guys have identified that, but probably 20% of the market, that is your guys' estimate. Yeah, yeah, we estimate about enterprise level. 
Yeah, we did a we did an analysis of how big, from a revenue perspective, the market is today <clears throat> across, you know, call it AI, uh, machine learning, you know, video transcoding, natural language, scientific compute, those those areas plus crypto. We think that's about a hundred billion dollars if you took that slice out. And what's interesting is we did another refresh of that recently. And what we noticed was that um, a lot of the new, a lot of the hyperscalers are creating new uh, services um, to essentially provide spot computing. So if we have like an extra computing space, you can like use that to, you know, run some of your models. That'll be a little cheaper. Uh, and the reason is because they couldn't just say, hey, here's a here's a data science platform. Um, it's the tenth of, tenth of the cost <laughs> of our normal service and the enterprise customers go, wait, wait, wait a second. Well, why can't you give me the, <laughs> the normal service for that price? Uh, and so what we're saying is, you know, we're going to build the whole company around that, that, that service and it's better for the planet. And it's big enough of a space that we think we can do that and other, other players can do that as well. And it's way bigger than uh, crypto. The strategy for our business, which is to go after uh, wasted energy as we you know, search these markets and partner up with big infrastructure players, it actually goes beyond wasted energy. It, it actually becomes back to where we started, vertically integrated. We have partners that are saying, mm-hmm. there's greenfield sites that I actually wouldn't invest in, but if I have your solution integrated, then actually we'll build it. So there's more capital going into building green, green power. Suddenly we outpace the size of the entire crypto industry. So we have to go to phase two. So that's what's exciting for us. And then that just sort of transform the computing industry in general to become more sustainable. Crypto needs to become more sustainable. There's no question about that. Yeah. Uh, but the, the broader industry does as well. Gotcha. So you guys view it as potentially more or a larger market than some of the crypto markets. Exactly. Yeah. I, I haven't heard that before. It's awesome. Um, so, but you also mentioned that there's often a disparity between it being a, a flexible generation source, but then also having a minimum uh, amount to make it worth it. And anytime that I do these back of the envelope or business model calculations for, oh, should I go out and start a crypto mine somewhere? Or should we integrate right. this into some of our, our assets? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I work for an oil gas company. We've, we've looked at that, right? Like, do we right. burn some of our gas instead of sell it uh, for right. crypto mining? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like the, the utilization piece matters because the more that you're using your asset, the uh, more benefit you're getting from it, right? It's a bigger denominator right. exactly. for the utilization. So your your cost per unit should go down. Mm-hmm. What's what's your perspective on that? I mean, is there kind of a minimum utilization that you need to have to make some of these assets worth it? Or is the value arbitrage there such that people are willing to pay a little bit more for some capacity mm-hmm. at different times? I mean, how, how do you guys think about that? Yeah, it does matter. And the way we approach it is we structure the project all of our projects have two elements to our structure. One is a physical structure. Um, we're physically located behind the meter, integrated to some extent with the project into its same uh, interconnection point. So we find that substation, we try to get as close to that as possible, plug in, and now we can source power from the from the wind farm. Uh, we can source or, or, or solar farm. We, we do both. Um, or hydro facility, you know, and so we look at pockets where there's wasted energy. So we size that and we actually uh, back model it. So we do a backcast, uh, usually about four years. 
and it tells us how much volume that's going to represent for us. And it's actually part of a, an overall service we provide to the power, power partner. It's all structured in a nice, beautiful report and everything. And it says, here's all your, you know, give us all your data. And now we're, now we're going to show you what we could do. And then what we, we do is we simulate our data center in the facility when they were experiencing all of this, you know, crazy curtailment. Um, and we also source power when the facility is not curtailed. So, um, that's called subtractive energy. So what, what we do is when we're integrated with the facility, we can draw from the green electrons flowing over the, uh, the power lines to the, to the, um, grid. And before it gets there, we absorb it. And then, um, the third is when the facility is not big enough to support our rated capacity, if you will, like our energy needs, then we source from the grid because that, that point of interconnect is bi-directional. So the, the physical structure, uh, and through the power of net metering, we're able to, uh, get power from those three sources. Now, those three sources creates a weighted average power cost for us because we have different volumes from those three sources. And, uh, based on those volumes, it basically tells us, you know, formulaically what the uptime for that facility will be. And we need at minimum 85% uptime for each facility. And what's interesting is, you know, we have a facility on average 93%, let's say. So that 77% reduction in, let's say, uptime results in a pretty significant decrease in our cost. So you're trading that, you know, that, um, you know, 7% utilization, if you will, for a pretty significant, you know, double or triple in that, in that cost reduction, which puts us, uh, you know, best in class in the crypto space, for example, and then ultimately best in class in the phase two business because, um, we're willing to be more flexible. We can get power at a much more beneficial cost. And so our raw material coming in helps with all of those, those interesting utilization and cap capital return problems that need to be solved. And that's how we make it work. I'll, I'll say that back to see if I understood that. So yeah. the, your, your capital cost or your cost to build the project uh, is decreased when your utilization, uh, uptime goes down from mid nineties to like 85%, but the 85% is kind of your guys' minimum threshold to hit that lower capital cost tier. Um, mm -hmm. to, to make sure you guys return that. Right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's our, it's really our, um, it's really our operating costs, I guess. The capital cost is the okay. same, but the operating cost goes down, which gotcha. allows it to return capital faster. Gotcha. Um, so what kind of size of projects are you guys chasing then? Uh, anyone with a substation or Good one question. megawatt, 10, 10 megawatt, 100 megawatt? Yeah. I mean, what's, yeah. We find the problem first. So we go to the asset owner and say, show us your worst asset and we'll show you what we can do. They, they almost always give us a big one. Cause that's really, <laughs> they're like, well, there's a lot of money concerned. over here. We got, we got to do something. With <laughs> we got <that>. like, <laughs> yeah. they don't give us a little teeny tiny ones. You know, like, well, what can you do with this one right here? You know, and they tend to be hundreds of megawatts of uh, power plants. And then what we do in our assessment is we basically uh, show them different size facilities that we could build there and how much of the curtailment we absorb in the process. And we try to size it as large as possible because we want to get curtailment to zero. So as a result, our projects tend to be 
at least 50 megawatts um, on average. They're sort of in the 75 to 100 megawatts these days. And as of this taping, our pipeline is approaching, a, you know, a gigawatt of projects that we're looking at, both wind, solar in the U.S. and beyond. And so lots of, um, you know, lots of uh, uptake. You know, people literally go to our website, schedule a call. There's a little schedule a call button on our website. <laughs> John, yeah, you, you got to look at this thing. <laughs> what can you do for me? <laughs> a couple of insights, though, I, I want to share. One is, at first, everyone was showing us, you know, highly curtailed sites. Then people are realizing that the curtailment is a, you know, what's the word? It's it's a it's it's a it's a smaller class problem of a bigger problem, which is just like off, you know, like revenue, you know, diversification or you know, lost revenue, that sort of thing. So people are showing us sites that are about to go merchant, for example, and they're saying, I could expose myself to the merchant market, but if you can essentially use your same structure, then I can have a hedge on that, right? I talked to you about greenfield opportunities, you know, to have a whole list of sites I couldn't do, but I could actually differentiate myself by doing the harder sites to, to get done because I have this, this embedded asset. So the conversations are becoming more strategic in nature, which I think is very encouraging. Yeah. Awesome. Are you guys ever concerned about if you're pulling too much power from just the grid side than, than competing? Um, and my, my, my thought is that you've got this price arbitrage that lowers your overall average cost of energy. Um, you're creating a new energy demand resource for uh, your customers or your clients. And uh, right. at what point does your demand outstrip their supply. Uh, we usually don't size them such that that's true. What we try to do is size it such that there's, power, there's still power going to the grid because that's the whole point. But also, uh, it is still a flexible facility. So, for the listeners, when I say data center, I'm not talking about this big monolithic building that's on 24/7. Happens to be connected right. to a wind farm. That's what most other data centers are doing. Actually, lots of them just build the wind farms by the power. Get the wrecks <laughs> offset <laughs> their consumption elsewhere, but the uh, we're, we're directly connected. We're still doing wrecks because you can't be green without the wrecks, and so we we buy them from the power plant or in the market to get us to net zero. But the the facility is actually a network, if you will. It's a farm of smaller facilities. Each one of our buildings consumes about 1.2 megawatts, so 50 megawatts. There's 44, give or take, buildings on that site. You fly over. It's this very special configuration. And the software in there actually allows us to scale up and down the facility. So if the grid says, hey, you've got 50 megawatts sitting next to that um, 150-megawatt plant, uh, I need an extra 50 megawatts today, we're actually able to ramp down and let that power go to the grid and serve the community and really serve as a resource for the grid as well. So we still have that battery-like effect, if you will, and we can participate in all of those ancillary services and demand response markets and so forth. It's an it's a additional revenue source for us, another way to return capital. So those types of things um, make us more than just a power user we're a grid infrastructure uh, resource is the way to think about us from the grid perspective. From the customer awesome. perspective, we're, we're, green, we're, we're green computing. You know, they don't care yep. that way. <laughs> they, don't, they have no idea where we are. But, but to the grid, we're, we're a new novel resource that they didn't think about. 
that's a load, but it's a flexible load and it's, it's, it's integrated with the resource behind the meter so they can do some pretty cool things when they start to model the grid around that. Now, you mentioned green computing or being a green source uh, several times. I assume you guys aren't trying to chase any of the stranded flare gas. Uh, no, we, we're, not, uh, we're not in that business. Um, there are other companies that are that are doing that. Um, sure. I think it's I think it's a it's a novel idea. Um, no, nothing against it. I have challenges with it in that um, I find it hard to scale that business. Um, we're trying to build a very big enterprise and uh, an enterprise that spans the globe. We think there's lots of places around the world that need more renewable energy, and it's harder for them to make it. And this is a way to do that. Uh, flare gas is solving a different problem. So right. just a question of like, what problem are you trying to solve? We, we focus more on the wasted energy issue. Sure. What, so the wasted energy that exists in renewable all the time, but other mm-hmm. green source, um, I mean, n- nuclear, I've read several articles and where several people in the space also chasing a similar prospect, but using nuclear instead of renewables. Yeah. Are you guys not chasing that because the a similar price arbitrage might not exist? We we have lots of debates <laughs> internally whether yeah. renewable is actually green. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not on our list yet. Um, uh, whether, at some sorry, point, at some point that debate will come to an end. What did you mean? Whether you said whether renewable is green? Yes. Or, yeah. uh, whether okay. I'm sorry, whether whether nuclear power nuclear plants are, are sort of fall into the green category. So gotcha. we we kept our lives simple. We say you know solar, wind, hydro. We focus on that. There's plenty of that. Um, and uh, yeah, some others have done. Uh, I've seen uh, the the transactions that you're you're thinking of that have done uh, the integration with with nuclear power plants and so forth. And then they've structured a classic style data center uh, project around that. Um, and and in my humble opinion, that is not innovation. <laughs> uh, that's just you know a good way to find some cheap power, but. Uh, you know, it, I think that the um, innovation that we are bringing to market is we're we're changing the definition of a data center. So it's actually not doesn't even look like a traditional data center because it's designed to solve a specific problem. We're integrating it to the power plant. It's about additionality essentially. We want to uh, enable more uh, renewable intermittent type power plants to be built that uses the natural resources uh, of the planet. Um, but look, I, I know that uh, we, me and others in the space can have a very rigorous argument and discussion around uh, nuclear. And nuclear is going to go through a pretty significant transition. I feel like there's a lot of um, stuff that's happening you know, if you if you saw the Bill Gates documentary, he talks about uh, the cool stuff he has been doing there and his and his uh, hard fought losses <laughs> in China. Yeah. But uh, uh, a lot of cool things are coming to the nuclear space, and that may change our our perspective down the road. But we're just being very focused right now. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I appreciate you guys' uh, focus. Um, are there a lot of other players moving in this space, or do you guys feel like you're kind of a first mover? Um, so. There are lots of folks who have repositioned in the last, I'd say, uh, six months. Uh, Elon Musk did a, I'd say, a very clutch move by just saying, "Hey, I just found out there's 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 gambling going on." <laughs> now he's like, "Is it? You know, you guys are not using green power? 
This is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, that's the best thing he could have he, he could have done. Everybody was mad at him, but honestly, it was the best thing he could have done because, to be completely honest, there were players in the marketplace who really didn't care about the you know province of their power and the the yeah. sources of it. It was really about cheap power and positioning as having the cheapest energy. And so uh, everyone has repositioned. It's been um, actually quite helpful to the space, right? Because uh, if you look at the numbers today, I think about two-thirds of the uh, largest uh, players are here in the U.S. now. So the market has reshifted to a base of, you know, a country that with, with strong rule of law, innovation, you know, and government will have to figure out the, the role that they play in it. And uh, but sustainability is on everybody's mind. Uh, my colleagues uh, just came back from the Bitcoin 2022 conference and, you know, you're driving, you're driving into Miami, you know, and it's like billboard green Bitcoin. <laughs> Everything's green. Um, so I think that's great because the industry does need to be more sustainable. And um, uh, and as a result, it's it's creating the right behavior. Uh, people are building facilities next to more green power. People are uh, integrating into facilities. Um, the uh, we've seen partnerships where people are actually building power plants. Um, so that's all great. The difference between those folks and us is the long term the long term plan. Like, what are we really what, what what kind of company are we really trying to build? You right. don't invest in our company um, to get exposure to green Bitcoin because we don't huddle it. We don't, you know what I mean? We, we, you invest in our company because you really believe that Bitcoin and other types of flexible computing can be a catalyzer to renewable energy. And uh, that's the key difference between us. And, and sometimes it's hard for people to see that, but that's, fundamentally what we are yeah no that's great john we're coming up on our time and i want to be respectful of it so we've got a couple more questions that we ask all of our drafts yes so and we wrap up but um what's what's one thing about the energy sector that uh keeps you up at night or or scares you um well to be honest with you there is so much capital coming into the space right now it's mind-boggling um the 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 best numbers i I, can share i think that's a good thing Right? I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, it, it, it's, we, we it need is, to build it some of these projects. Yeah. It's a fantastic thing. It's, it's good timing for us and so forth. So that, that really excites me, but it also scares the heck out of me because this problem we're trying to solve is actually going to get worse now because, yeah. you know, um, renewable energy basically has the, what I like to call the McDonald's and Burger King problem. McDonald's and Burger King are real estate companies. They optimize the location of their stores for the you know closest access to their target markets, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know lowest cost of re- you know real estate, you know rising uh, potential uh, buyers, uh, population growth, etc. And when they run their models, basically you have a Burger King across the street from a McDonald's. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> they're like right next to each other. The same is true. For renewables, if you think about it, it doesn't matter what industry, what's part of this industry you're in. If you're in the battery space, you're going to build all your batteries in the same place, right? If you're in the solar space, you're going to look for the best sun. If you're in the wind space, you're going to look for the best wind. And then everybody runs the same models, and they end up in the same location, <laughs> basically, yeah. Yeah. because people will gravitate to where it's easier and cheaper to deploy, to deploy capital. And so 
you get this huge um, congestion and the grid kind of doesn't, it gets more renewables built, but it doesn't get the flexibility it needs. Um, so penetration actually drops. It's a, it's a real issue. So that's, that's why I, I'm excited, but like freaked out. It's like, Oh, this is, a, this, is, this, is <laughs> this is one of those problems, you know? Um, so that's what I would say there. Uh, the other is, I think the, the industry reminds me of my experience in the insurance space where it's, it's a, it's a huge industry, small community, very insular in sort of their thinking to some extent. And so innovation is hard for them to, to fathom because the industry has sort of coalesced around uh, tried and true solutions to problems. And so you kind of need someone who, who doesn't come from, in, you know, from, in, from energy, i.e. G me <laughs> to say, what, what about this thing? You know, and yeah. I just get blown away by like people just like, you know, wow, that's why didn't we think of that? <laughs> and so that's pretty exciting sort of bringing you know, innovative ways to, to do that. And that's happening a lot. So more and more people, because of the movement to climate, you know, support climate change, more people who have nothing to do with renewables and energy is coming into the space with innovations from other industries. Uh, that lateral thinking, I think, is going to be great. So that's what I'm excited about, like sort of bringing that, that, um, that, that movement that's underway. Uh, in awesome. the yeah. yeah. What, uh, what advice do you have for young professionals in energy? Young professionals, um, I'd say, you know, try to go and spend time with the, the, the companies that seem to be doing stuff that you think is totally crazy and cool because those are the companies that are helping to shape, you know, the future, right? Um, back to the beginning of the call, you know, the, the most exciting technology companies are the ones that are thinking way far ahead, right? Where they're thinking about what impact will technology have on shaping the way we think about things, industry, and those young companies that are venture back that are trying to, you know, build long duration batteries and, you know, interesting new AI technology to help sense when the grid needs upgrades and prevent forest fires. Those are all really super exciting places to be and uh, go there because uh, that's where you're going to learn the most. You're going to grow the most, whether the company is successful or not is irrelevant. All of the learning that you'll gain will allow you to be a fantastic resource for the industry at large. Awesome. John, I, I don't know if we can end on a better note than that. That's uh, right. been fantastic. Thanks so much for the time. You're welcome.